Uh, Psalm 6 is known as a song of confession and humility before God. We don't know all of the background story, uh, but we know that David uh, was a man that uh, God said that he was a man after his own heart, but it doesn't mean that David wasn't without his failures. And uh, we know of someone's, uh, so, of, well, um, the, the big failures that David had are, are written in the scripture, uh, namely uh, murder and adultery. You know, he had he had a lot going on, and, and uh, we don't know the exact circumstance of what's happening here when he wrote Psalm 6. But we know, uh, as we're reading, is very heavy. Uh, a, a, he was in a place uh, that uh, uh, where he, he felt like if he went on anymore, he wouldn't even live. Uh, so this is a, you know, as we're, as we're understanding what's seeing here, so it's a song of confession without confessing what's being, um, uh, what it is here. He doesn't call out and say, I did this or whatever. And he's not necessarily saying I'm confessing, but we can understand this is a song of confession and humility before God. So uh, this song, along with six others, it was customary for the early church to sing this, uh, sing them, the seven of them, on Ash Wednesday, 40 days before Resurrection Sunday. Uh, so there were certain amount, a certain of them, seven of them, that, that were uh, selected for that, that they would sing uh, 40 days before celebrating Resurrection Sunday. So uh, it's a neat thing uh, that, uh, you know, as you were just reading or something, we might find, like, not even consider, but uh, just to understand how powerful this psalm was to the early church. So uh, verse uh, verse 1, uh, well, the, the, the header says, uh, To the chief musician with stringed in some instruments over an eight-stringed harp, a psalm of David. Uh, as I discussed before, those that say that you know music has no place in the modern church, uh, not scriptural at all. Uh, they might, say, you know, they'll sit there and say, "Well, show, show me in the in the New Testament where uh, they they picked up a, a you know a guitar and and played or anything." And I'll say, "Tell them, show me in the New Testament where they ate McDonald's." You know, it's it doesn't it doesn't mean that they that they you know didn't eat or well they didn't eat McDonald's, but you know, but it, you know, it doesn't say that they uh, sat down for steak or whatever. It's uh, you know, th some of the things that that uh, that weird weird theology. Will try to try to put out there now what to to what end you know that somebody would use an instrument that that God inspired somebody to make for praise and worship and then say no you can't use that anymore that's an evil device okay um, I, I just it, it's it's not scriptural so I just I want to share that uh, that we have here in the Psalms with an, uh, with stringed instruments on an eight stringed harp so. Uh, verse 1 says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no re remembrance of you. In the grave, who will who will give thanks? Sorry, give you thanks. I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. 
Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. So verses 1 and 2, we see that, that, uh, that David wrote, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Calling out for God's mercy, have mercy on me, O God, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. He's, he's calling out for the mercy of the Lord. And do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chas uh, chasten me in your hot displeasure. Now, uh, he bases that, uh, that cry to the Lord on verse 2, on God's mercy. Please, in your, in your anger and in your hot displeasure, do not chasten me. You know, don't, don't, uh, uh, don't rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me. So he, he's crying out for the mercy of the Lord. And he says in verse 2, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. Uh, that God chastens us for our own good. And we're going to turn soon to uh, Hebrews 12, probably a familiar scripture about the chastening and correction of the Lord. But as he's saying here, you know, uh, we uh, we don't know. Ex he, he's so weighed down. He's, he's afraid of the anger and the hot displeasure of the Lord that he's just asking God in his mercy to help him. And uh, David knows uh, that he needs the Lord. And uh, so we don't know what it's for. We know that the situation is so heavy. It's affecting him physically. It says that he's, he's weak and he's in pain, that he feels it in his bones. Uh, that's not a, hey, you know what, I said something wrong to somebody. Uh, this, is, this is a serious thing that he's dealing with. And uh, where he says, have mercy on me, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. And as we see here, he's, he's weary, he's groaning, he's crying. I mean, he, he's not literally talking about his bed swimming. So we can understand that, that he's using that as an example of how much he's crying. So his bed isn't floating in his room. It's, it's that he's crying enough. It's as though he's, he's crying enough that it would fill his room and, and make his furniture even rise. You know, there's that, that constant sorrow, that constant weeping that, uh, that is physically uh, affecting him to the point where he's weak. And he's, it says in his bones, that my bones are troubled deep down. Um, I don't, I don't know of a, an exact example to, uh, none, none are coming to mind right now, but, uh, and maybe not one I'd want to even just say, you know what I mean? But those times when we know, oh man, I really messed up. I really did it. You know, that was, that was it. And, uh, you know, I've, I just, I've seen this, I've seen the, the heartbreak and the sorrow, um, in uh, maybe even in loved ones' confessions of, of what they're what they've been going through or what the things that they've done that they just need to get off their chest that 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 heavy burden of that sin of I can't hold this in anymore I have to confess this whatever it is and just lay it all out the weight that comes from that just being able to pour it out and say Lord I can't handle this anymore and I need you to take it from me. So God can minister to us through the toughest of times, uh, even those uh, that are brought down by our own sin and selfishness. Uh, when I see what I'm reading here, I would prefer the joy of the Lord in my life versus the, the, the brokenness and uh, the, the pain and sorrow that comes from seeking myself. That, that I'm going to seek myself until I get to this point, and then you go, oh, what did I do? What did I do? You know, I've, I've hurt my relationship with the Lord. Uh, you know, I've hurt those people around me that, that love me or, or whatever it may be. You know, the, the effects and...
pain and sorrow, I, I just, I'd rather just uh, take the joy of the Lord. You know, he, he, the Lord might chasten us, but it, but he does because he loves us, you know, and, and as we get into Hebrews, we'll, we'll, we'll study that chastening, that, uh, that correction that comes from the Lord and verses four and five, David is calling out to God to deliver him quickly. And if you look at verse four, uh, he says here, uh, sorry, verse three, let's go back. My soul is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. That's that. Why? Please don't don't draw this out. My and, and then we see as he's saying here that that he's crying so much that his his eyes are wasting away because of grief, and he's he's just so overwhelmed uh, with the situation that he's dealing with here. So the grief was too much for him to bear. I wanted to share a a Spurgeon quote: "Churchyards, uh, a, a graveyard, uh, are silent places." The vaults of the sepulcher echo not with songs. Damp earth covers silent mouths. It just that when when he said when when he says for in death there is no remembrance of you in the grave who will, who will give thanks? So you know uh, Spurgeon just saying you know damp earth uh, covers silent mouths. Yeah, it's just there's the there's the ground and there's just the grass. There's there's no no voice uh, crying out in a graveyard. You know the the vaults of a sepulcher where the bodies are kept or whatever. Um, uh, they don't echo any songs. There's so when when David is saying here, uh, it's it's to the point where he's so overburdened that he doesn't want to die from the sorrow and and uh, everything that I mean. If you want to hear a heavy song, you ever turn on the radio. And realize somebody wrote something that was extremely heavy. I mean, this is it. This is like the song that that you would sing and just say, "I, I I'm so broken that I, you know, my I, I'm weeping so much, my eyes hurt, my my bones hurt. I'm weak. I can't I can't continue on." And then that crying out, uh, "But you, O Lord, how long? You know, soul is greatly troubled. How long? Will we, we please help me. And just as eternal Lord, deliver me." You know, so so in dealing uh, with what David was, and then we we see in verse six, he says, "I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of my enemies." Dealing with a lot, his own sin. Uh, he's dealing with enemies in his life. There's there's so much that is overwhelming David here. That he's he's just in in a, a point now where he's he's completely exhausted. His eyes are sore. There's a lack of sleep there. So he's dealing uh, on one on one portion uh, the chastening of the Lord, and and he's also dealing with with enemies and uh, with other things that are uh, on the outside uh, bothering him. If you look at verse eight, it says, "Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping." So we see the other side of this. We the Lord is heard the voice of my weeping and there's some hope for us there's not much provided with what's happening here but it's uh it's always a a good practice when we see what david is saying here um depart from me all you workers of iniquity to separate to sever a relationship that might not be godly uh we may be you know uh in in a, a circumstance where you know we're surrounding ourselves with people that aren't like-minded you know, as Christians, we should not that not that we should you know move away to a colony. I've heard Christians say that before, and, and it was just because of wow, this world is so crazy. Why don't we all as Christians just go move into the woods and start our own colony there? You know what? It's going to fall apart really fast. Why? Because there are selfish sinners there. 
<laughs> just redeemed by grace. And you know, so so there's no place that we can go. I uh, we were driving home from a, a soccer game Saturday night, and uh, we saw I see this dark thing, um, you know, coming to us on the other side, and it's the Amish with a with a, a horse-drawn buggy. And uh, dark, they're supposed to have a light there. There's, there's no light that another one we saw coming after that did. But, but I, I've, I've always been amazed at the Amish community, and I, I don't hate them or anything. But Christians were not called to separate ourselves and just say we're all just going to live here and we're not going to embrace anything that this. Uh, yes, I, we sh- there's a lot in this culture that we should we should shun and not embrace, but we can't shun society itself and 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 separate ourselves completely from society because how are what does the scriptures say how are they going to hear unless somebody preaches to them right that so i just and there are many other things that i i could speak against uh from, from i'm not making them our big enemy here but but for for us to separate ourselves and uh it is not what we're called to do here but when when uh, david is saying depart from me all you workers of iniquity for the lord has heard the voice of my weeping the lord has heard my supplication the lord will receive my prayer verse 10 let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled let them turn back and be ashamed greatly you know uh there's there are often times uh that uh, we may have to depart from or or uh, separate ourselves from uh, from those that are going to have a negative impact on our lives uh and what we see here is is that uh david is saying uh, here that let all my enemies be ashamed and let them turn back and be ashamed uh suddenly that that, that it wouldn't come uh, uh you know as as uh, slow over time but those that are his enemies the enemies of his soul uh that uh, maybe are mocking him at this time what whatever it is uh we we don't know all the all the context of what's happening here but uh david is uh, certainly when we read the the psalms a lot of the times he's praising the lord and he's uh he's he's calling out to god to protect him from his enemies so uh and what we can see here within the context of what we're reading is that david uh, David is greatly perplexed in that um, I, you know, I believe as we're reading here that we can see you know that the Lord has heard my weeping and uh, when he's when then he goes out to say is there there may be mockery there may be somebody that's flinging this in his face is his failure in his face you know the Lord has heard my supplication the Lord will receive my prayer you know there there are times that uh, you know oh here goes the Christian they failed again and and uh, um, I, what I've seen uh, and heard lately, um, whether it's on the news or, or whatever it is, I've, I've spoken about. I don't, I don't get into the the online arguments over whatever it is. It's a lost cause, you know. It's mostly the extreme on this end and the extreme on this end, and it's never going to come to anything where someone goes, "Oh, hey, the light bulb's on." Are we called to be salt and light and to oppose? Yes. But when we get into these, you know, tit for tat arguments, and we're, it's, it's never going to result to anything productive. So, but what I'm saying uh, is, there there are times that we just need to shut off from that, you know. And if somebody's going to mock that we're Christians, and oh, you know, thoughts and prayers, you know, I've actually seen that as a mockery that Christians will will offer thoughts and prayers act as though we're not being genuine. You know, whatever it is that that David is saying against an enemy that he has here is that he's making the declaration that the Lord has heard the voice of his weeping and that the Lord has heard his supplication. And it says the Lord will receive will receive my prayer. So uh, whatever whatever it is, uh, the the enemy that he's dealing with, the spiritual enemy, 
Uh, he had plenty of enemies. Saul, Absalom, his son, uh, you know, Shimei that we're gonna we're gonna discuss later that was that was cursing his name. Whatever it was, uh, you know, David just goes to the Lord with it. And uh, when when he's dealing with these things, uh, if you would uh, turn to Hebrews chapter twelve uh, with me. So we're gonna take a hard right. Get to Hebrews chapter 12. Where David is crying out for the mercy of the Lord and just asking to be spared from God's anger. And he's chastening and... Um, not, not necessarily to be spared from his chastening, but his chastening in this hot displeasure. We don't want the Lord's hot displeasure in his anger. You know, we do want the chastening of the Lord, although it may sound, um, sound weird, the, that we uh, should be people that love to be corrected. Because uh, if we're not loving the correction of the Lord, then uh, we're, uh, we'd rather just accept the sinfulness or we'd rather accept the failure rather than uh, being corrected. I, uh, I've heard several people uh, just share. Sometimes they're, uh, uh, they've experienced, uh, you know, they were, they were held into pretty tight accountability. And then they look back on it uh, at the end and say, you know what, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that my parents were so serious to not let me go out and, you know, in the middle of the night with my friends or whatever it was that they weren't giving, given that freedom to just, to just go out. There were, there were strict rules. There were things and there were consequences when things, uh, when, when there was failure. And I, I, I say other people, I think we've all, we've all been there. And then when we understand that, that chastening, that correction, uh, that we might have had from our parents or, you know, a teacher that loved us or a coach that loved us, that put us in our place. I remember we had a, we had a wrestler on our, our, our wrestling team my junior year. He was a senior. Um, it was a big match for him. And uh, he went out and wrestled a guy uh, from uh, Maine Central Institute, MCI from Pittsfield. Lost two to one. It was an amazing match. These guys were, they, and it ended up being the state championship match. So they wrestled in the regular season, lost by one point, and I think he lost. I think he may have actually no, he I think he did lose again to the guy in the state championship match by one point. But after he lost this match when we were at MCI regular season, he he didn't understand what was going to happen. He gets off the mat and he's going by himself, and he's so upset with himself that he punches a heating duct, and he didn't realize that that heating duct in the middle of the gym would go bang, and everybody, you know, it was a loud gym, and every woo. Just quiet. And my coach, who was in the Marine Corps, big, tall guy, you know, awesome, awesome guy, who was very quiet. Um, but we always knew one one wrestling practice a year. I think I've shared this before. Uh, forgive me for repeating myself if, if you've already heard it. But we always knew that if we uh, got a little out of control and he really felt that we were just clowning around, here he is. He's a teacher. He's taking time away from his family. And uh, he'd come to wrestling practice after going to work all day. And if we just kind of seemed to be flippant, like, hey, we don't care, or we've got a big match coming up, or we didn't perform well, we were a, a good wrestling team, very, very um, uh, disciplined and, and worked very hard. But there was, uh, there was always the one practice a year uh, that didn't happen my senior year when me and a couple buddies were, were captains. We were like, that is not happening on our watch, and it didn't. And uh, – but it did happen my first three years of wrestling, and it's bad. When Coach threw his clipboard, 
practice is hold on for dear life, you know, because it's going to be all conditioning. We're not going over moves. We're not doing anything. No one's going to say a word. By the end of practice, everybody's completely spent. It was that 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 anger of now you've ticked me off. So when this guy went over and he punched that thing, like it's usually pretty quiet, big, tall guy. We always respected him very much when he punched that thing. Jeff and coach uh, went into the locker room and we heard coach way outside in, in the hallway and Jeff didn't wrestle the next meet uh, and, and everything. It was to teach him, you know, that was a life lesson for him. Hey, you cannot lose your cool and go punching things. And, and, and it, he was dealt with and he learned from it and never did it again. You know, he's a young kid, even though he's a senior and he's experienced on the team, he needed that instant correction because what did it do? It reflected bad, poorly on our coach, our, our team and our school. And instantly that's, that had to be dealt with when we sin and somebody knows that we're a Christian and uh, everybody looks around, you know, God is going to correct us. You know, if, if we are bearing his name and we're not honoring him by how we live, we can be sure the chastening is coming. And that's because he's a loving God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For the Lord, uh, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which are all uh, sorry, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. We're going to read through verse 12. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the, uh, the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, uh, and we'll, we'll stop there um, uh, with uh, verse 11, actually. It says, uh, if we go back and read 11, now, uh, now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Chastening trains us that, that, that it's going to produce fruits of righteousness. Don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. And you do that, I'm going to correct you as a loving father so that you don't do that anymore and that you're going to grow and that they're going to produce fruits of righteousness rather than continuing to sin and uh, bring embarrassment to the name of Christ. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't be the way the, the Christian conducts themselves. So the chastening of the Lord. Uh, I, also, I also like here that uh, when it says, uh, uh, I need to find my spot here. 
Verse 10, for they indeed uh, chastened us for a few days, uh, for a few, indeed, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. For he, our, uh, for he, our prophet, uh, that we may be partakers of his holiness. You know, that, that, that God is doing it to cleanse us, to correct us, and that we might be cleansed, that we may grow, that we may mature in our, in our walk with him. You know, the Lord is, is so faithful to us, so faithful, so loving toward us that he doesn't want us to continue on in that sinfulness and to be obedient, uh, that we might grow and that we may not, um, uh, you know, bring shame upon the name of Christ. Let's go back to Psalm and we're going to go into Psalm 7. Psalm 7, a meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. Um, not much said about who Cush, a Benjamite, is. Uh, there's some speculation that it might be Saul, it might be Shimei. The, uh, the references I see uh, in, in uh, just Bibles, uh, in cross-references, and uh, from... Uh, you know, commentaries from teachers uh, seem to point to Second uh, Samuel chapter sixteen, and uh, we will. Uh, we'll, I don't mean to keep making us bounce around, but we'll eventually get there, um, and uh, and we'll look at at, at what it, it possibly could be. So uh, another one that we don't know of a, of a direct event uh, that it might be connected to. It's possibly uh, that it might be Saul. Might be Shimei, um, uh, but a uh, Benjamite. So we know that Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin, and then we know that Shimei was of the tribe of Benjamin. So uh, it, it's likely it might be one of those two, but but we don't know for sure. But there's still uh, so much in here for us to learn uh, to learn from. I said we weren't going to go there, but uh, but why don't we go there and then we'll come back and read. So Second Samuel chapter sixteen, verses five through fourteen. If you have an electronic Bible, that's a quick couple punches, right? Second Samuel 16. Verse 5. Verses 5 through 14 is what we're going to cover. Now when David came to Bahurim, uh, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men uh, were on his right hand and on his left. So they're protecting David. They're, uh, they're making sure that he's, he's protected. Also, Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. So um, David had uh, Saul as an enemy, uh, and then he also had uh, he also had his uh, his own son Absalom. 
So uh, he's this guy's just reminding David that, hey, Saul was an enemy of yours. Now you got your son chasing you. And rightly so is basically what he's saying. And he's throwing rocks at David and he's cursing him and he's following along and he's got just enough distance. Right. He's keeping himself safe because you got mighty men of valor. And when you read about David's mighty men of valor, not dudes to be messed with. No, uh, no, thank you. You know, these guys were awesome at everything. You know, they're climbing, scaling walls and chucking, you know, uh, slinging rocks that can right into your forehead uh, from long distances, left hand and right. Right. When you read about how good these guys are, some of them, those instruments of war that they could use both hands, they'd fight so hard that their hands were so stuck uh, to that they had to have their hands pried open after a battle. I mean, some bad dudes. You know, he this guy's surrounded by elite Navy SEAL type guys, you know, not the guys that you really want to tick off because all they want to do is kill you and just keep your your life means nothing to them. And we're going to see that right here, um, as, as it says in verse nine, then Abishai, the son of Zeruah, said to the uh, sorry, Zeruiah um, said to the king. Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Let me go over there and take off his head. <laughs> you know, so here's a guy literally taking his life into his own hands and uh, with plenty of guys around there that could easily chase him down and kill him. I don't know if he's, you know, got some false, uh, false hope and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, when someone always has that, uh, that, uh, that false sense of security, like, oh no, you can't do anything to me. I'm too, you know, I'm too fast or I'm too, you know, you guys ever watched a, a fighter get cocky in the ring? They start getting cocky and they start playing around and bang, somebody hits them right on the chin and they're on the ground stiff, right? They get totally embarrassed. You know, they could have easily happened to this guy. These guys would have just, in two seconds, if they were given the okay by David, this guy's life's over. And here he is just calling David out. And, and, and then Abishai just looks at him and says, can I go kill him? Look at David's response in verse 10. What have I to do with you sons of Zeruiah? Uh, so let him curse, because the Lord has said to him, curse David. Uh, who then uh, shall say, why have you done so? And David uh, said to Abishai and all the servants, see how my son, uh, who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now uh, may this Benjamite? Let him alone and let him curse. For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. So David's just like, you know what? Let him do what it is. When the Lord hears, the Lord will decide. And the Lord said, maybe he'll repay me. And, and if you look into the rest of the story, David still has mercy on him and even protects him until Shimei, uh, Shimei breaks the rule that David set and loses his life for it. David said, you know, you cursed me and I could kill you. I'm not going to in my own uh, in my own um, uh, mercy toward you. Uh, but Shimei uh, forgot the rules of, hey, you must stay in the city that I send you to cost him his life later. You know, this 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 man is sitting here. So we don't know. This may have been the circumstance. Uh, we don't know. Turn just a couple chapters over Second uh, Samuel, chapter 20. We're only reading one verse here. Uh, 
I realized that I was supposed to read like three more verses in there. Uh, so we'll go back and read them here after we look at verse uh, chapter 20, verse 1. And there happened to be there a rebel uh, whose name was Sheba of the son of uh, Bikri, a Benjamite. So here's another Benjamite here. Uh, and he blew a trumpet and said, we have no share in David, nor do we uh, have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tent, so Israel. So there's a quarrel about the king. You know, and here's another one that's just, uh, who, who knows? We just, we just cush a Benjamite. We don't know which one. But we got this guy here that's speaking to everybody uh, and trying to get them to, to reject David also. So whether it's Saul, whether it's, uh, it's this guy here, um, uh, Sheba, or whether it's, it's Shimei. And I just wanted to read, uh, read the verse, uh, verses 13 and 14 back in 16. I apologize. I didn't read those. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed him as he went threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary. So they refreshed themselves there. Sorry. I meant to read all of that so that we had the whole story there. We don't know exactly uh, the the uh, the event that connected all these things, but we know that that when David wrote this, he wrote it uh, of of Cush the Benjamite. We don't know which one it was, whether Cush uh, represented um, King Saul or um, Shimei um, or uh, the other guy there. I forgot his name already. Um, but I just wanted to share those 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 three things that it might have been. So verse one. Uh, so now we've covered the intro to Psalm 7. Uh, verse 1 says, O Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me. So uh, he's trusting in the Lord, in the Lord and uh, no no other thing. You know, David, David was a man that understood that his victories in battle came from the Lord. David himself was a mighty man of valor. Remember, we've, we've talked about this where uh, when he came back uh, from the battle and everybody's cheering, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. He was known as a mighty man of valor, a man of war. Uh, remember, David wanted to build a house for the Lord. and he, The Lord's like, no, your hands have spilled too much blood. You know, I'm going to that's that's going to happen with one of your descendants. But so so David but David knew that the strength, uh, his strength, his military strength didn't come in, in the people. Yes, the Lord used his military, but the strength was in the Lord and not those around him. So when he says, oh, Lord, uh, my God, in you, I place my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me. He understood that his strength and protection came from the Lord. Uh, and it says in verse the end of verse one and deliver me lest they tear me like a lion rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver so uh, David believed that his once again his life was was in jeopardy now, verse three says oh Lord my God if I have done this if there was iniquity in my hands if I have repaid evil to him who is at peace with me or if I or have I plundered my enemy without cause. Let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, Lord, let him trample my life to the earth and lay my honor uh, in the dust. So David's not claiming that he's sinless here. He's just innocent of the wrongdoing he's being accused of uh, to deserve the persecution he was experiencing. Uh, this leads me to believe that this is uh, against this is Shimei, the guy that's that's out there just causing so much that it it just as he's being cursed, 
um, that everything is, if I've done anything, if I've, if I've done what this guy is accusing me of, then, then, uh, you know, if there's iniquity in my hands, if I've repaid evil to him, uh, who is at peace with me or if I've plundered. So, uh, if Shimei is speaking the truth and I'm doing what's wrong, Lord, then, uh, then let it be so. But he knew that he's innocent of any wrongdoing. And, and he says, you know, if I'm wrong, give me, give the enemy victory over. You know, so he he had a confidence here, not that he was sinless, but that he was innocent of what he was being accused of. So much so that he says, let the enemy pursue me and overtake me. Yes, let him trample my life down to the earth and lay my honor in the dust. Nobody wants to, to, to be a laughing stock, you know, just to just to be the one that, ah, you know, the butt of the joke, that your life is the butt of the joke. You know, and, and what he's saying here is, you know, let him trample uh, my life down the earth and lay my honor in the dust that I wouldn't have any honor. You know, David was an honorable man. He did some stupid things and some very selfish things, but he was restored by the Lord when he confessed his life. Uh, he was he was forgiven by the Lord. But, uh, you know, any honor he had, what he, he's willing to lay that down. If I if I'm wrong, Lord, then give them victory over me. You know, that's a, that's a nice place to be when we know what, that we haven't done what we're being accused of. Not that we want to be accused or not that we want to go through the circumstances that, he, that he's going through uh, that are bringing him to this point of, you know what, Lord, if, 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 if there is something wrong that I've done, then give them victory. Give them, you know, let them even trample my life and, uh, and lay my honor in the dust is what he's saying here. But he knows that there's, there's nothing there. And that's a, that's a good place for us to be rather than, Oh, Lord, hopefully nobody finds out what I did. You know, this guy's right. Can I go kill him? So he shuts his mouth. You know, he had the means to do, I'm sure. He has the king and he had so many people around him that whatever the circumstances, if it's not Shimei, we know that he had the means and the opportunities to kill Saul. If he was writing about Saul, you know, when he's in the cave tending to his needs, some say he's going to the bathroom. Some say he's taking a nap. Whatever it was, David could have killed him there. Cuts the corner off his robe. When they get far enough away, David cries out to him. And Saul, oh, Saul, Saul, uh, uh, David, David, is that my son David? And Saul had a lot of highs and lows you know, mentally. And, he, uh, you know, I've, I've sinned against you, David. And, and David, no, you know what? I'm going to keep my, keep my space from you. But just so you know, I could have killed you right here. You know, and even cutting the robe, he, he, David thought that he had done wrong. You know, so whether Cush the Benjamite is speaking of, of Saul or Shimei or whoever it is, David knows that he hasn't done anything wrong. Verses 6 and 7 says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have, uh, for the judgment you have commanded. Uh, so the congregation of, of the people Peoples shall surround you for their sake, therefore return on high. So he, here he's, uh, this is a plea for God's uh, righteous intervention. He's asking, Lord, will you please intervene? Verse 8 says, the Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my iniquity within me. He's not making a boast of righteousness. He's, oh, Lord, you know how sinless I am. He's saying, in this circumstance, you know that uh, I, I stand righteous in this and that my integrity is not in question. Um, I remember working one of my old bosses. You know, there was a lot that she would tolerate somebody giving her a hard time for. But I remember her saying that when if somebody comes to her 
questioning her integrity, it's over. <laughs> and she was a woman of integrity, and uh, she was a great supervisor. Um, but but I can't remember the circumstances or anything. But we, but I just see the red in the face of for her to her integrity to be questioned. You know, the ability to do what's right. You know, saying that oh, you know she can't really be trusted. Really. <laughs> them's fighting words right there you know that's uh, that's the approach she took there but uh, judge me O lord we're, we're not usually crying out to the lord asking him to judge but what he's saying is in these circumstances he knows that he has done righteously and that his integrity is intact so whatever's going to happen uh, asking the lord to be his protection and uh, and to intervene for him, uh, knowing that you know his righteousness, that he he's right in this situation, and uh, that his integrity stands. So uh, when he can cry out to the Lord of those things, it's not a, a boast. But David knew that he's innocent of you know what he was accused of, and uh, that God, the righteous judge, would judge rightly. That he could cry out and say, "Lord, please be my be my judge in this." Uh, we usually don't want to go to in front of a judge without an advocate. Uh, when when you're guilt uh, when you're innocent, you know uh, David knew that he could stand in front of the Lord in this circumstance, and he had nothing to fear. He didn't need the lawyer to try to spin things around, like uh, being in a in a. You know, there there are people that we know are guilty of sin. You know, yeah, we got you on camera, this and that. Nope, I'm not guilty, dude. We have you in your face and your name confessing um, that you did this, and then they'll enter a plea of of not guilty. You better have a great lawyer. And we've seen that happen a few times, haven't we? O.J. Simpson, uh, you know, those things. Sorry, I don't mean to make light of it. But, you know, we, we see those things uh, that, that uh, I just remember even that trial, even my, my senior year in high school, of, of all that evidence again. He, he was guilty, you know. And, uh, you know, guilt, court of law, they're going to do whatever they are. And, and uh, you know, that's a, that was a sad thing. And, um, you know, he couldn't stand there and say something like that in this circumstance. You know, somebody who's innocent can stand there and say, I, I am innocent. I'm innocent and I can prove it right now. You know, and that's what he's saying is I just need to prove this to the Lord. He's going to take care of the circumstances. It's not like, Lord, show me I'm innocent and then I'm going to get all these people and they're all going to help me. And we're gonna, he's just saying my plea is to the Lord. He's not going and trying to get everybody on his side and everything. He knows that if he pray, prays to the Lord, the Lord's going to orchestrate everything in his life so that he is going to be protected. And he placed his trust in the Lord, and uh, and that's that's where he found his peace. Verse 9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. That their wickedness would come to an end and establish the just. You know, there uh, that uh, you know the psalm that was written, I, my, it's escaping my mind which one it was, where um, you know, the psalmist is writing of seeing the uh, those that were living ungodly lives and how much they were blessed. And just going and then and then just being able to and then I went into the to the the courtyard then I went into the temple and I was in the, the presence of the Lord and I saw their end you know just that just understanding the right and it's escaping my mind right now but uh, Psalms thank you Psalm 73 right then I saw their end 
You know, they, they, they're, they're prosper. Why are the wicked, wicked prospering? You know, everything's happening right in their lives. Shouldn't these things have, wait a minute. But then I saw their end when I went into the presence of the Lord, when I, uh, you know, could be there for us. It might be when we can just read the word and be reminded of, of who God is and that he, he does protect the righteous for the righteous. God tests the hearts and minds. Oh, just knowing that that the righteous God that's testing hearts and minds is our defense, as it says here in verse 10, who saves the upright in heart. We want to be the upright in heart. Verse 11, God is a just judge and God is angry uh, with the wicked every day. If he does not turn back, he will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. And uh, he also prepares himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. That's a frightening group of verses right there. That is frightening to think of. You know, God is a just judge. Now, uh, your scripture, uh, your your Bible might have italics where it says with the wicked, where that might have been written as an implication. Some say that that it's the the the, the scriptures, uh, the the early manuscripts don't imply that. Some say that it does. Uh, it just uh, God. God is a just judge, and God is is. Some say they'll say he's angry every day at wickedness. But it's where it says here with the wicked. Uh, if your Bible has the italics there, uh, that means that somebody who was uh, interpreting what was written here, uh, they had to say they wanted to put the influence, the the emphasis there. So when you're reading in your Bible and you see that that word uh, words in italics, uh, those are are there for an emphasis. So just just know that. So some will contest that it's not that God is angry with the wicked every day. But uh, I think as you read in the scripture, he is those those that are evil minded. Uh, so they'll want to kind of downplay that and say, no, God is not angry with people who are evil. Those who are evil minded, those who, uh, you know, God is not happy with wickedness. You know, there there can be. Um, uh, there can be spins um, or or doctrines that will say that God doesn't mind your sin. You know, just just keep living your life, and and God loves you, and you don't really need to change anything about your life. That exists. There are there are mega churches out there that are denying the existence of hell. You know, just just understand those those they, they deny what did Je if Jesus said hell exists. What are you going to say? God says hell exists. God the Father, uh, Jesus Christ Himself is talking, and then you get into Revelation, and you know, cast in the lake of fire, and you know, all these things. You know, th there there is consequence for sin. You know, uh, otherwise, it, you know, sin undealt with, then the just judge has sin come before him, and we understand that as a just judge, God can't just take sin and say, oh, it didn't happen. Don't for, you know, don't don't worry about that. You were a good enough person. Uh, yeah, you rejected Jesus in your life, but you can still come in because you were good enough. Now, we talked about the unpardonable sin today, uh, th this morning. That unpardonable sin, there will be big arguments over what that is, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus Christ, and rejecting Christ uh, is the unpardonable sin. You, you, when At the end of your life, even at the very last second, somebody says, you know what, I, I understand now. I understand that I'm a sinner and I need Jesus Christ. He's my hope. I, 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 I pray that he'll forgive me. Lord, will you please forgive me of my sins? Die two seconds later. The scripture says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth you're saved, right? 
So the, the fact that, that somebody would want to say that God, God isn't angry with somebody who's wicked. Yes. Yes, that wickedness, it, it, it affects everyone around. It, wickedness doesn't, doesn't just affect the sinner. It affects everybody that the sinner is in, in contact with. So uh, just an understanding, God does not accept wickedness. He doesn't accept evil. It should be turned from and turning to him. Look at the beginning of verse 12, and we see that that is the proper context. If he does not turn back. Then this, then the frightening things. He will sharpen his sword. I don't want God's sword, you know, coming. I don't, I don't want that. Think, think about the hundred eighty-five thousand Assyrians slaughtered out out in the field. Just one angel whoosh, goes and wipes them all out. You know, I, I don't want uh, anything to do with something like that. You know, you think of, um, you know, the the Exodus and uh, what happened uh, to the people of Egypt. You know, the angel is sent out, and uh, any house that didn't have uh, that that mark of the cross, the blood on the the the, the lentil and, and the doorposts. No, I don't want any of that. He will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares him for himself, prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery darts. Don't want to be in the crosshairs of any of that stuff. If he does not turn back. If he does not turn back, what we see here is the grace of God. You know, God is that we know from second Peter three, nine, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? Second Peter three, nine. So, so for anybody to get kind of boastful about this and be like, ha, can't wait for God to wipe you out. Oh, wait a minute. You know, because you can look in another another scripture, Ezekiel 33, verse 11 says, as this is the Lord um, speaking, uh, he told uh, Ezekiel to say, as surely as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his evil ways. Turn from your evil ways, actually, it says. God, God isn't desiring. It even says right here, if he does not turn back. If he does not turn back, if they're unwilling to turn back, I don't want to be on the other side of God's a sword. I don't want to be on the other side of his bow or the instruments of death. No thanks. I've seen you know just earthly instruments of death. No thanks. Nope. I want the grace and mercy of Christ. That's what I want. I want God's mercy. Just when he cries out Ezekiel 30, I'm going to read this again. As surely, as surely as I live, so as surely as God lives, the one who breathed breath into us, you know, eventually this world will pass and, uh, and all, all who are on it are either going to be taken up to him or wiped out. Surely as God lives eternally, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from your evil ways. That is the heart of a loving God. A loving God. That's Old Testament. I mean, we've talked about this before. Oh, the God of the Old Testament is just angry and wants to wipe. No, that's the Lord. Those are his words to the prophet Ezekiel. No, no, God is very gracious. Very, he doesn't change. Same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not, he's, you know, he, it's, he, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Verse 14, behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. That's if you just look at it as it, the wicked heart produces wickedness. You know, we can look at it as you reap what you sow. 
Yes, he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. He made a pit and dug it out and has fallen into the ditch which he made. His trouble shall return upon his own head and his violent dealings shall come down on his own crown. You know, Galatians, uh, so that reap what you sow. I'm just going to read Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8 to you here really fast. Uh, you can turn there if you want, but I'm, I'm just going to flip over there uh, really quickly. Just give me a moment to get there. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. I need to use Oliver's tabs here. He's uh, I know I've said it a few times. I give him a hard time about them, but the, it's very smart to do so. Do not be deceived. Galatians uh, 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who seeks, uh, so for he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. So when we look at what, so uh, when you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. When you sow to the spirit, will of the spirit reap everlasting life. You know, when we see in verse 14 where it says, Behold, the wicked brings forth iniquity. That's what wicked people do. They bring forth wickedness. You know, that's that's just is what it is. And it says he conceives trouble and brings forth falsehood. And then it says here, you know, he's making a pit that he dug and he's fallen into it. You know, trouble shall return in his own head and his violent dealing shall come down on his own crown. Verse 17, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. According to his, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. You know, as we're reading through here, uh, you know, uh, David is writing that that he uh, can stand and say that in this circumstance that he is righteous and that his integrity is without question. You know, but what he says here and when, the way he ends this song, this psalm, he says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, God's own righteousness. This king ends this saying, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Here's a king humbly submitting himself before the Lord Most High. Made me think, you know, oh, that everyone in the positions I just wrote in here, oh, that everyone in positions of power would do this. That governments in the world would be seeking the Lord. Oh, all we hear about is troubles and wars and, and who suffers? The innocent. You know, you think of the, the war over in Ukraine and it's kids and hospitals being bombed. And, you know, those those things are awful. Those are awful. If 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 the the, the powerful and, and the the uh, those in the polit I mean, here's a king here in Israel. You know, David, known as the you know the the, the best king to ever uh, over Israel, the star of David is their flag, right? You know, when they think of kings, they think of David. You know, and the splendor of his kingdom, uh, and how God blessed him and used him, and how what was David's heart? Humility before the Lord, not hey, look how great you know how great I am. You know, uh, you know, they, uh, Will I've heard him sing it, uh, you know, a few times that song, "I Exalt Thee." And, uh, you know, you know, Will has shared that and and uh, the the pride of some would say, you know, saying instead of, you know, I exalt me, I exalt I, I exalt thee, I exalt me, you know, 
oh me, you know, and it, it's, it, I always laugh when he does it. And uh, usually it's on a, a trip to a pastor's conference and we get into a conversation of something and, you know, he'll, he'll sing that song and, and he'll keep going and just get my face hurting, you know, with just laughing so hard. But uh, that, uh, it, it, that, that silliness, it's, it's great. But no, just to know that this king, this man, in the highest political um, position he could be in, humbles himself before the Lord and calls him the Lord Most High, and uh, that, that he kept the Lord in proper context in his life. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word, and we are so blessed by it. We pray, Lord, that as we, we take a few moments uh, for prayer requests and praises, Lord, that you would bless us and that you would hear the prayers, hear the praises, and, and, uh, and minister to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So